big and on my heart. Seems like it's been a theme the last couple of days. Uh, yesterday, had a dialogue with the IDMR, Institute of Divine Metaphysical Research. And then last night, went out to Devon, witnessing to the Islamic people. And then today, we had uh, Berto stand out and witness the Jehovah Witnesses again. Did they come out here today? <laughs> so they're starting to avoid this corner, huh? Praise the Lord. Bring it. So we really, you know, have, do me a favor, brother. Just turn down the monitors here. And you do have this recording. Okay, thank you. We do have a special gift in our ministry. And then turn down the mains, I guess, because it's just really popping. Thank you. We have a gift in our ministry to confront the cults, the different religions. We do it in grace and love. But we do it nonetheless in boldness and passion. Amen. And so I just want to encourage you with this today and to let you know that we have declared war on false teachings. Amen. And I appreciate you guys letting me be the pastor and letting me uh, be the elder, you know, in charge and calling the shots when it comes to stuff like that. Because I do try to have the heartbeat for the church. And, you know, I've been dealing with these guys for a long time. What, whatever religious organization you're talking about, whether it's Islam, whether it's, you know, counter-Christian groups, or if it's just, you know, like Harry Krishna's and just whacked out groups, okay, the Moonies, etc., Scientology. And a lot of times what I see is that the people do not want to engage us. They run away from us. But that is a harvest for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here are people who already have spirituality, and most of them are nuts and crazy. And if they're already doing the wacky things they're doing now, like Harry Krishna's with a little tuft of hair and they're clapping, you know, well, how much more if they get saved can they be radical, amen? If the Jehovah Witness is already going out witnessing now, how much more could they get saved and be a radical witness for the Lord? So to me, I think we're missing a humongous harvest, especially when you add the world religions of Islam and Hinduism in there. You're talking about a billion people each, basically. So you're talking a third of the world. There's six billion people on the planet, two out of six. A third of them hold to another religious cause. That is a lot of harvest right there. That's a lot of fajoles, amen? That's a lot of beans on the beanstalk. And so we cannot neglect that ministry. We have to go after them. Now, the thing that you'll learn is when you talk to them, the thing they all have in common, believe this or not, is that they are all antagonistic towards Christianity. And there's a historical reason behind that, and there's a spiritual reason. Let me give you the historical reason. Okay? Around the time of Constantine, 30 AD, or 300 AD, Roman Empire becomes Christian. That was a big deal. Okay? The Roman Catholic Church forms out of that. Eventually, Byzantine Empire comes out of the Roman Empire. Then those empires kind of dwindle away through Islam coming around in 500 A.D. Then you enter into the Dark Ages around 1000 A.D. And this is what you have, Holy Wars, Crusades. Okay? And then you have exploration done to the king and to God. And that's where you have people coming to new lands, Christopher Columbus. I don't know how Christian any of these people were, okay? I know that when I read people's writings, you can tell that they were Christian. I wouldn't put my faith in any of these men being a Christian. I don't want to be handcuffed to them on Judgment Day, other words. Amen? Okay. Well, the answer politically is Christianity began to conquer the West and discover new lands. Okay? So that's how Christianity came to America. That's how Christianity came to India. That's how Christianity was in the Middle East until we lost a little bit to the Muslims. Okay? That's how Christianity has spread. The reason why it's not very much in Asia is because Asia had a bigger army than us, okay? Genghis Khan and all these guys, they, they stopped us, okay? They didn't let us keep conquering. And the same thing with Islam. Why is Islam not in China? Because they stopped Islam, okay? So historically, Christianity has been around longer than Islam, and in many ways, especially with its exploration and conquering lands through the kings and queens, promoted its faith more than Islam. So when every religion starts off, whether it's Islam, Hinduism reasserting itself today, uh, Judaism, all of these other faiths, they have one thing in common. Those Christians are wrong. They may not agree on much in themselves, but one thing they agree on is that man Jesus is not who the Christians say he is. Now, that's the political reason. The spiritual reason is, if you were the devil, who would you hate the most? 
Santa Claus or Jesus, the one who stomped on your head? Okay? So are you going to be spending your time, your last moments on earth, deceiving people with Santa Claus, or are you going to try to get them away from Jesus? That is his tactic. It is a spiritual deception. He is blinding people's minds. And when you think about how these religions come about, especially when you were going like Islam, Jehovah Witness, Mormons, Scientology, the Moonies, the Hare Krishnas, and a plurality of other cults that have come around America and, and in the modern age, in the last 100 years, when you look at their system of arguments, how they build their points, it is 100% the conception of a demon. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit. I have a lot to get to today, but I wanted to preface you with this. It is our job to preach the light of the gospel to them. Amen? It's our job to confront that. So if you have a coworker or something, I'm not saying you beat them on the head and say, Beelzebub, okay? I'm not saying you do that, but what I am saying is you better be ready to engage them. Perfect example in point, my father, he's coaching, he does business coaching. People learn how to become a better leader through my dad. He says, one of the people I'm coaching are Mormons. He says, I'm beginning to dialogue with them. There's a way to do it, even in the business world. My dad said, you know, when I was in business if with a tax company he was with before, his boss was a bishop in the Mormon church. They would discuss it. You need to be able to be on your toes and have an answer and be ready in season and out of season. Amen? So let me give you the, uh, the passage in Jude that calls forth what we're talking about and where we get the word apologetics from, where, where the Greek word is apologia. Let me give it to you in Jude chapter 1, moving on to the scripture that I don't know where it's at. Okay, here's verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And that word contend is the word apologia in the Greek. And that word means to defend with contending. So you're, you're saying, here is the truth. I'm going to defend the truth by fighting you right now. Okay? So you come against this, we getting it on. And if you even talk about it, we getting it on. You even look at it funny, we getting it on. You understand? What are you looking at? You say, Jesus is not God? Come on over here. What are you looking at? Come on, get some. That's what you're doing. You're contending. Put up blueletterbible.org and go to that scripture while we're talking, please. I want them to see it. We have got to contend. When I say the word contender, you think boxing. He's a contender. He's a fighter. He can put up his dukes and fight. Jude is writing the people. He even makes a point and says, my original intent of this letter was just to encourage you about salvation, you know, just to tell you the good things. He says, but I have to. I am urged to tell you about defending this, fighting for the truth. Why? Because it's now, verse 4, for certain men, it's being attacked. Who have, whose condemnation has been long ago secretly talked about. These people secretly have slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the, gate, the grace of our God into a license for an immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. And so what you see here is now they have to fight. They have to contend for the faith. And I want everyone in this church to be able to contend for the faith. Now, Last night with Islam, some of you guys were out there. Ellie asked me how it went. I felt a little discouraged towards the end because I didn't think I knew what I should have known, and I was thrown off a little bit. But you know what I did? I went back and studied, and everything I told him, except for one minor detail, but literally 99% Ellie was all right. He was not accrediting it to me as being right, and he was lying to me. And I cannot wait to talk to him again because I don't have a Quran, obviously, in front of me, okay? And he's asking me to recite these things, and I'm saying this. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. And I said, and he's reciting another one. He said, that's what you're talking about. And I go, no, that's not what I'm talking about, but I don't have the Quran in front of me, you know? It's, it's, it's like this, by the way, because some of these guys use such sneaky tactics. It would be like um, you talking to somebody and them saying to you, you know, isn't there a scripture where, where Paul said that, uh, you know, 
he had traditions, and these traditions were passed down to people. And you're like, no, I don't know of that scripture. Well, you, you find it. And, and, and you're like playing with them. Because let's say their argument is from a Roman Catholic, and their, their argument is saying Paul had traditions, and those traditions are found in the Catholic Church. And the guy just can't remember the scripture. And you're like, no, I don't know where that scripture is. And all of a sudden he goes to like 1 Timothy chapter 3, remember the traditions I have handed down to you and keep these in the church. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that scripture is there. That's exactly what Muslims do. They, they, they will let you talk. They will, they will not help you with one thing, and they know exactly what you're talking about. That's what they did to me. Somebody say, help him, Lord. Okay, so here's the point. I went home and I checked the scriptures. I was right. I checked the Quran. I was right. And they were trying to tell me I was wrong. So what you do, you come with a ready defense. You come with the information ready to answer them. Now, does that mean you spend your whole life studying other religions? No. You don't spend your whole life studying counterfeits. But you do need to know why you believe what you believe in a pluralistic age to answer the critics. You need to know. And one of the people I talked to was a Harvard graduate who's a professor with a Ph.D. downtown here, okay, at uh, UIC, one of these schools. And he wanted to tango. We did a little gospel two-step tango. You listen to me? And that's okay if you can't tango with the Ph.D. from Harvard, but you can't say, repent, be born again. Let me show you some more scriptures on this. First uh, Timothy, turn there with me. If you're there now, hit the C, my brother, next to it, up top right there. This is a tool we just learned about in the class. Hit it again. Oh there, oh, there you go. Thank you. Now go down. We just learned about learning these words in the Greek. Keep going down. Keep going down. Contend for the faith, which was that you'd earthly contend. Uh, Epigenzimaya, whatever, going down. Look at the root of this. Oh, no, sorry, I'm sorry. Hit, hit on G1864, please. G1864. Okay, go up. Go to the right. Go down. Okay, somebody help him. No, don't hit that. Go to the left. Go down. To the right. More. Okay, can, can we be frustrated anymore? Because then it's, uh, okay, look. There you go. Wrong word, though. Turn with me to Timothy as he figures that out. Help me, Jesus. Patience. Do you use this tool, Adolfo? Which one do you use? Okay, now go to that tool that I need you to get up there for me, please. First Timothy. Look at what it says. Chapter 4. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times... Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. I am so serious. When Muhammad said that he had a revelation from a spirit that taught him what he had, my friends, that was a demon. Can you say amen? I am telling you, that thing was a demon. And then you listen. You listen to what? The demon told him and how the Muslim faith, the Islamic faith is right. And you literally think to yourself, I could not create this systematic belief even if I tried. It literally takes a demon who has studied these scriptures for 2,000 years to corrupt it to have other people believe it. I mean, these corruptions aren't just simple make-believe stories. I mean, the the, the things that they use to collaborate, the way they talk on things. Some of the things to the average Christian are so vague. Some of the things you'll hear these cults bring up are so far out there. You're like, what in the world? It took a demon to come up with that. For example, when the Mormons talk about baptizing for the dead, they use uh, Paul's example in the scriptures. Go to First um, Corinthians, or I believe it's Second Corinthians, Paul's defense of the resurrection. Apologia, brother. Apologia, look for it right here. It's right where it says contend. Can, okay, then somebody please help you. Help him. Go back there, somebody. Take your hand on top of his hand and help him find it. Resurrection defense in Second Corinthians. And I've already told you, my brother, two times what you need to click on. Bring it over there. Contend. Where is the defense of the resurrection, Jared? Thank, thank you. 15, go there. Jared, the walking Bible, come on. Look at this. Twenty-nine of, of chapter 15. 
Read that out loud for me, Jared. So you say to the Mormon, show me one place in the Bible where somebody is baptized for the dead. What are you doing, you crazy chickens? And then they read you that scripture, and you're like, uh, uh, what? I didn't even know that was in my Bible. Why? Because it took some demon to find some obscure passage and then to apply it to something it doesn't even mean. The answer to this is that the pagans of those days were baptizing for the dead. And Paul is saying the resurrection is seen in all these different religions. It's an argument. If there's no resurrection, then why do pagans think about it and act in this way? He is not saying we do this. He's not doing that. He's using the philosophy of that day to argue with the people. But yet, Now the Mormons will do this. I wanted to correct myself. The word, I wanted to see if it was apologia, and it's not. Defend is this word right here, which means uh, contend, which means to contend, earnestly contend. I want you to go to Bible Gateway and put have answer. Put have answer in the word search. Turn with me now to another scripture where it talks about having a ready answer. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. talking about learning the Word of God and the purpose of the Word of God, 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So what does your Word do? It also rebukes. Why? So that you can correct people. Keep going. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Do what, Paul? Correct. Rebuke. Encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. Now go to Galatians chapter 1. Go on down, brother. Keep going. All the way down to the New Testament. Go to Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to preach from back here because I need the, the Bible. And Junior's just not moving quick enough for me. Okay, so Junior, go and grab a seat for us, please. God bless you, brother. Thank you. When you're in Galatians chapter 1, somebody say, I'm there. Start in Galatians chapter 1, Jared, where it talks about, I am shocked that you have found another uh, gospel. Read that passage for us out loud, please. See, already in the time of Paul, people were claiming to have divine revelations that, in fact, were coming from demons. Here you see that demons come in the form of an angel of light, and they deceive people to believe that they are hearing from God. And that this deception, Paul says in Galatians, had already come to the people and deceive them and taking them away from the gospel. Now go back to 1 Timothy.
I want you to see the story of Hymenius. The story of Hymenius and Alexander. Jared, find that portion and begin to read that for me, please. How he's deserted Paul. So what did he do with Hymenius and Alexander? He handed them over to who? And he names their names. These are heretics. Now go to 1 Peter. So many, so many scriptures. Thank you, Adolfo. You may go back there. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And go back up to Bible Gateway for us, please. 1 Peter chapter 1. The word that I was looking for, apologia, is found here. Being ready to give an answer. Brother, find that scripture. I just can't believe I just lost it since I moved from A to B. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cannot believe I lost it. 1 Peter 3.15. Look at it. But in your heart set apart, Christ Jesus as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Now put up that as we continue to talk, 1 Peter 3.15. That word, give an answer, I confused with contend at the beginning of the meeting. Contend is another word. It means to contend, to fight. This now, to give an answer, is where we get the word apologia from. Put it up on blue letter that, that Bible, please. And this is where we get the ministry of apologetics. So all of this I just gave you as an introduction. Let me give you one more as an introduction. Go to Revelations. Now some people say, well, gentle just means you just love everybody. Let's see if Jesus was gentle with the Nicolaitans. Let's see this, okay? Gentleness, we'll define that. In just a little bit, but go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 15. David, please read that out loud when you are there. Revelations 2.15. I'm sorry, Mr. Carrasco. Yes, keep going. Well, that sounds gentle. <laughs> sounds gentle. A little sword in the mouth. Jesus is going to come down. Hello. Look at that. He says right there, man, you're not doing well if you're hanging out with these guys because I'm going to whip them. Now, let me give you another reference to these same guys that are found um, a little bit in a different passage right here. Go be to chapter 2, verse uh Verse 6, uh, David, Mr. Carrasco, please read that. Revelations 2, verse 6. Oh, how does he feel about them? He doesn't hate the people, but he hates their what? practices. He hates it. So why are we trying to be in this culture politically correct and bring everybody together in the ecumenical movement and say we all really are just praying to the same God? No, we're not. No, we're not. The Jehovah Witnesses are not praying to the same God. Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans or Nicolaitans, depending on how you pronounce it, are not right. Hymenius and Alexander, not right. People like Muhammad, people like Joseph Smith, who say they saw spirits that changed the gospel, they're not right. You need to contend with them. You need to fight against what they're saying. And here's the word apologia. Go down now for me, please, for the definition. Uh, uh, the reason, brother. Go up. Go up. Please help him. Give an answer. I, 
Adolfo, I know you're trying your best, but I don't think you're familiar with these tools. Please familiar, Adolfo, listen to me. Please familiarize yourself with these tools, okay? What I want to share with you right now is what we need to do in response to them. I want to show you how Paul dealt with the people of his day. Go with me now to the book of Acts. That was the introduction. Seriously, that was, I mean, and I'm speeding through it. And as you can tell, go to the book of Acts, and I want to show you how the apostles dealt with this. I want to get the references for you right now. Everyone in the class, by the way, every elder, every deacon needs to be familiar with these tools. You need to learn how to use these tools. It's very important. I am going to get the laptop so I can go directly from here to here and save everybody some time. But as of right now, I need especially the gentlemen, everyone, when you're with me, because I really want to be able to do this. You guys have to move. Acts 9.29. Look at how they handled this. As you're turning there, look at Apologia. Those of you who are learning Greek right now, you're learning how to read this. This is Apologia. That's exactly how you pronounce it. Transliteration is right there to the left. What does it mean? Verbal defense, speaking in defense, a reason, statement, or argument. So Peter says, be ready to give an answer to everyone who questions your faith. Be ready to give an Apologia. Now, this is not an apology saying, man, I'm sorry, guys, I believe that. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, I have an argument to what you just said. I have a point to show you this. Now, we're not talking about making foolish arguments or just arguing to argue. What we are talking about is what Paul did in Acts chapter 9, 29. He talked and loved with the Grecian Jews, and they wanted to take him out for tea. He talked and just whispered kind, gentle, loving things to them. And they wanted him to become their godparent. Is that what it says? What does it say, Davi? He talked in what? Debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to what? Kill him. I don't understand why we expect anything less to happen to us. Jesus was the most normal Christian. He was normal. And they wanted to kill him, and they did. The early disciples were the most normal. They weren't extreme. They weren't just, you know, people way out there doing stuff they weren't supposed to. No, these are the right guys. They're doing the right things. People wanted to kill them. You hear people say this all the time. I don't talk religion or politics. I talk both. Let's get it on, okay? Because you need to talk both. If you don't talk both, you're going to hell and you're going to live in hell. What are we doing here? Okay, what's the point? We are supposed to make a difference. And every founding father believed in that. Okay? That's what our country was founded upon. And debate was always a part of our universities. Many of you today don't know how to debate, and that's a problem. It is a problem. You see, how you're taught in class is they feed you what they mow, and you just eat it yummy, 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 and you go home, and that's it. That's not the way learning ever was. Learning was you hear it, you bring up the best arguments against it, they prove to you it's right. They proved to you it's right, especially when you got to adult training, college training. You see these pictures of the Greeks, the people studying, even in the rabbinical schools. You know, this is what you did. You debated. You spoke openly. Does the scripture mean this or does it mean this? And you get into heated discussions about it and you stand for your point. That is how you learn. Jesus himself at the beginning of his life as a 12-year-old at his bar mitzvah is sitting and arguing with the temple priests. He's there contending with the faith right there at a 12-year-old boy. Come on, somebody. Here you see Paul debated. Go on to the next scripture with me. Acts chapter 15, verse 2. And find on blue letter that uh, word for debate, please. Acts 15, verse 2. They have their Bible, so please, sir, just do the blue letter. 
This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So they were debating with them. The Bible says it was a sharp dispute. They were not holding back. You see, what we don't know how to do as Christians anymore is to debate. And I have sat back long enough and heard myself isolated by the Christian community, and they call me the crazy one. We are the normal ones. We are living the tradition of the Bible. See, how do we define Christianity? By this Bible. How do we define leadership? By this Bible. A good leader doesn't just say, I get along with everybody. No, a good leader says, I get into sharp disputes with people. Now, one of the things of an elder is that he's not contentious. You know the difference. Okay? Anybody with half a brain knows the difference between being contentious and getting into a sharp dispute. One person is kind and loving. Hey, these things don't matter. It's okay. No big deal. You're supposed to do this. You didn't do this. I forgive you. Okay, that's, that's a nice person. A contentious person is, why didn't you do this? You should have done this. Always judgmental, okay? That has nothing to do with this. This is the truth. This is not personally attacking people. This is not picking fights. This is not the father comes home, kicks the dog, and starts a fight with the family. This is not that attitude. What this is saying is, you are messing with the truth. I love you, but I hate your practices, and I have a problem with that, and I'm going to tell you right now what that is. Now, all of you are environments where you have to do it differently. Some of you are in school doing with your professors. You need to respect them. Some of you are on job with your coworkers. You need to respect your job. You're not there to debate. You're there for work. Some of you are there with your family members. When you go to different family events, you need to do it in love, not be so disruptive. All those things can be practical helps and guides of how to love people and you know win friends and influence people, okay? But the bottom line is that's not your goal. Live within the culture. Be a Roman to a Roman, a Jew to a Jew. But after that is done... Have the debate. Tell the Roman Catholic, this is wrong with your faith. Tell the Muslim, this is wrong. Tell the Jew, this is wrong. Tell the Hindu, this is the biblical way. We have always done this. Always. When Martin Luther started the Reformation, he wasn't even trying to start a Reformation. He was trying to start a debate over 95 theses, 95 problems he saw with the Catholic Church. They were the ones that were chicken and didn't want to do it. And if you read the story, he's standing before the, the, the bishop or the cardinal, one of them, and he says, they say, repent, recant of these things. And he says, sir, unless you show me in the scripture, I cannot. And they did not give him the explanation. And they told him, you do it because we said. And shikaboomba, there came the great reformation. Amen? I'm tired of us being classified as the crazy ones. We're not the crazy ones. Look at Acts 18, 28. You see it once in Scripture, it's enough. You see it twice, three times, a lady. Hello, it's the Scripture, amen? It's a principle. <laughs> Look at Acts 18, 28. One of my favorite ones for a few different reasons of these adjectives in here. You'll find out why. Chapter 18, verse 28. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving From the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Oh my gosh. Vigorously refuted in public debate. Proving the point. That doesn't mean they all repent of all needs. It's just to anybody with half a brain and an ear to hear says, oh my goodness, that's the point. Jesus is who the scriptures say he is. Jesus is who Paul is saying he is. That's the way I like it to be done. So when we were in the... Uh, you know, Devon area, and we're on that corner, and I'm, you know, the, is, is the Muslim and I were raising our voices, and there starts to get a crowd. That's when, you know, people are getting nervous. That's, no, that's when I'm getting excited. It's getting on now. Now, everybody on Devon Avenue gets to see a public debate between, between a pastor and, a, and an imam, a man that's a scholar in, a, in his faith, and two, and bam, we're getting at it, and it drew a crowd. We don't need to bring magic shows and peanut brittle out there and a horse for people to ride on and to give them free balloons. Just street preach and start debate. That would draw a crowd or raise the dead and cast out demons. Amen. Both of them is what the apostles did. Either way. And sometimes they love you or hate you for all of the above. Sometimes they wanted to kill them for debating. Other times they wanted to kill them because they were raising the dead and healing people. 
Both of them will suffer persecution. So here's some things I want you to get in your heart now in closing. Is the Bible said we would be engaged in this. And there's nothing wrong with it, people. Be strong in your faith. Contend and answer. Contend and answer. When that Harvard person came up to me, that Harvard scholar, he goes to Jerusalem. This is a wise, incredibly smart man. I asked him at the end. I said, when you came up to me as a street preacher, were you expecting me to know what I knew? And he says, you have really impressed me. He says, I can tell you know a lot. See, that's the difference. It's not just us shouting, waving our Bible. Y'all going to hell. Y'all going to hell. That's contending, but it's not defending. It's not answering. See, the first one is contend for the faith. The other one is answer and defend with an argument. You need to have both. It's more than just saying, the Mormon is wrong and you're going to hell. You're Catholics. I remember one time my friend, he called up um, his dad. Okay, my friend is a preacher. And he was preaching in his hometown, and his dad wanted his family to come hear his son preach. So he called up the family that were Catholics, and he says, Hello, this is the winning team calling the losing team. Wanted to see if you wanted to come to church tonight. (laughs) Okay? Yeah, that's definitely contending, provoking a little bit, you know. But does he have the goods to back that up? From last week to this week, which I forgot to mention, uh, somebody ran into Eddie Berto. He's a Catholic, and he knows his stuff, and he's taking me back to all these councils, and we've been emailing back the whole week, okay? There are things that you may not know. You can study to know the basics, but you do have scholars, people who are learning. The Bible school students, you guys are learning. You have professors, and you yourself will be that one day. I myself am learning. There's people you can go to. But that's the type of engagement you should be in. God is in that. That's exciting. It's beautiful. It's beautiful when you hear a debate and you're like, yeah, in your face. Mm. Mm. Yes. That's who he is. Tell him. Tell him again, Pastor. So you do it with the right heart, though. I love people. We love people. People are believing a lie. Two plus two is not five. It's not eight. It's not six and a half, point three. It is four. And we're telling them it's four. And when they do what they did to me last night and they get you on your toes and you don't have a Quran in front of you and they're telling you it's not what it says, just say, I'll be back. Just tell them that I'll be back. I don't have the answer now, but I got a whole internet that does and I will find it in a pastor and I will bring the whole entire Bible college out here if I have to. I remember when I was in Bible college and I was dealing with the oneness Pentecostals that believe you're not saved unless you speak in tongues and you have to be in Jesus' name only. You know, I got into a little place with them. I didn't really know how to tango. I said, you're coming with me to chapel. So I bring them to Bible college chapel. And you got to understand, like, nobody comes except students. So all of a sudden, here's, like, Gary sticking out like a sore thumb. And Brother Anthony says, who is this guy? And I'm like, I'm glad you asked. Ding, ding, ding. Let's get ready to rumble. And all of a sudden, like like right here in chapel, like Brother Anthony is getting it on with this guy. And he's like, don't do that again. But that was a good idea, but don't do that again. Give me head head notice, you know, whatever. I just brought him in. Okay? So we love people. We pray for people. We embrace people, but we also debate with people. We challenge them to public debate. You have my permission to challenge any disbeliever and anything we believe to a public debate. Any of them. You meet a Baptist, they don't believe in gifts of the Holy Spirit, public debate. Uh, You meet somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible from any other religion, public debate. You have my permission to put us out there. Okay, that's wonderful. We're having fun talking. My pastor will debate you publicly. Come to our Wednesday Bible class. And we'll do it. Why? Because we want to continually show from scriptures this is the truth. And I have nothing to be afraid of. And nor should you. And that should show, really, honestly, that should show a good majority of these people out here that they are so wrong because they can't do that. The Jehovah Witnesses should have a light bulb that turns on inside of their mind. If I can't sit down here and talk to these guys and defend my point, then really, what is it? And the ones that are really the only ones today that will really get down and get down are the Muslims. They are the ones that are really trying to get their message out there. And even then, they're a little shady. Sometimes they only do it privately, etc., um, the Catholics, just shady. There's just a lot of shadiness. But don't let that stop you from preaching the gospel. A couple little side notes on the side. When you're using your Bible, 
and you're preaching from your Bible, use the context of the Scripture. Nine times out of ten, every discussion can be solved right with the context. So I'm not even just saying you've got to know every Mormon faith. Every If you're right now just starting off and somebody says, the Bible says this. Like, for example, the baptism of the dead. If you go back to Corinthians, if you just read that, you'll just say, well, it's not a command to even do it. He just gives a point. So in that passage, where's the command to do that? See, just in the context. It's not even there. And say, so, you know, he makes a reference to the baptism of the dead. Okay, he also makes a reference when he's on Mars Hill to another prophet and, and all of this. So are we supposed to follow that prophet too? You know, so you could just, just simple logic using the context. Or John 1.1, 1, 1, the Jehovah Witness says, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And let's say you don't know the Greek argument and all of that. Well, just follow it down. You just go on down. Look at verse 18, John 1.18. Just look at the Scriptures within its context. That's the number one thing you'll notice that people don't do. And then I'll give you a couple more in closing here. John 1.18. Well, okay, it's supposed to be a God. Well, go on down to 1.18. What does it say? No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Say this to them. Say, I challenge you to disprove that by the Greek. Say, look, you got a little funny thing in your Bible. Look at the thing I got in my Bible. You disprove that, and they cannot disprove that. See, that's in the context. And, and let's say, well, I don't even know if I really believe that. Well, look at verse 14. The word became flesh and made his glory among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, you get to the uh, passage in Isaiah where it says, I share my glory with no other. And all of a sudden you have a problem. There's some glory being shared here. The one that the Father gave glory to? Hold on. That does not line up. So you just know text. Let me give you the one that the Muslim gave me, Jeremiah chapter 8. I, I want to see. If you guys could just see through this argumentation, Jeremiah chapter 8. And by the way, I am very proud of this congregation and how you stand for the truth. I'm not saying this out of anything done wrong on your behalf. I'm saying this to challenge you to continue to go forward and to not think it's strange when things go bad in the argument, when it gets vigorous, when it gets sharp, when they try to kill you. Nothing's gone wrong. It's probably going right. Okay? Look at Jeremiah chapter 8. Here was the slam dunk right here for the Muslim. This is where the Muslim was like, your Bible's corrupt. And I'm like, no, it's not. He's like, yes, it is. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 8. How can you say we are wise for we have the law of the Lord when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely? Booyah! That says the whole Bible is corrupt. There it is, right there, that scripture. Booyah in your face. But all you have to do is know the context. Hold on. If the whole Bible is corrupt, Charlie, Ahmad, if the whole Bible is corrupt, Muhammad, how can you read this verse and take it for what it means then? Listen to this statement. Everything I tell you is a lie. Is that true? How can it be true? Well, then everything I tell you is a lie. That statement's a lie. It would, that would just like, yeah, fry your noodle a little bit, okay? It's called a circular argument. Everything I tell you is a lie. Okay, so that's a lie that it was a lie, and it's a lie. So where does the lie stop? Is he lying about he's telling a lie, or is he lying that he does tell lies? Just, okay, but here, it's a circular. There's no answer to the question, okay? Don't try to think all through it through the service. <laughs> How can I say I'm telling a lie and not be telling a lie? No, you can't do it. It's impossible. Okay, it's a long, it just, There's all these little philosophical things. So the, so the bottom line is he's saying your Bible's corrupt because your Bible says it's corrupt. You see, what do you do in that situation? All you do is just start reading the passage. And all I do, I said, you really want to look at this? Okay, this is uh, Jeremiah chapter 8. There's about 30 chapters here. You want to you get the point of this? And I started reading through. There's these false prophets here, and these people are scribes, and they've done it wrong, and God's going to judge them, and he's going to kill them, and kind of flip through with me. And then you get to, like, verse 20 and 21, and God's going to reject them. And verse chapter 23, they're called lying prophets. Ver, uh, chapter 23, concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. Okay, so there's a problem with these lying prophets. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's really bad. Yeah, it's bad. Okay, but hold on, hold on. Chapter 30, verse 18. Let's, let's see what happens here. 
This is what the Lord says. I will restore the the fortunes of Judah. I will rebuild them. Uh Uh-oh. We're starting to see it's not the story's not over yet. Wow. God is doing some things in them. Now look at chapter 31. You're getting towards the end of the story. What does God say to him? Verse 33 of chapter 31. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. After what time? After judgment has been met out upon the people of Israel. After that time, I will put their law in their minds. You all should get excited about that. I will write them on their hearts, write the law on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So how does God replace the corruptions of Israel? How does he replace all of this stuff that's been going wrong? He's going to send Jesus to write in our hearts. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's the correction problem solved. He's not saying the whole Bible's corrupt, Charlie. He's saying that these guys are corrupt. And because of that, he's going to make a new covenant. But the very Bible that you're saying is corrupt is what you're reading from to say it's corrupt. I don't know, but I didn't just fall off the turnip truck yesterday. May not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but I think if you're using a book to prove that that book is corrupt, then you have got something a little twisted. Because if Jeremiah is corrupt, then what he just said was corrupt, and you can't believe it. But if you believe it, then it shows you Jeremiah wasn't corrupt. Therefore, there had to be a solution to the problem. The solution was there were other people. These guys are bad, and we're going to change the things. You see, if you know the context of Scripture, if you read the Scripture with people, I remember uh, just another one, just go quickly, go to Joel. By the way, today's message was defending our faith, defending our faith Sunday school, uh, the third Sunday of every month, and I'm about ready to close right here. We'll have time for fellowship. Uh, Joel, so I was in a Kingdom Hall church, Jehovah Witnesses, and They're talking about, in Joel chapter 2, they're saying, Blow the trumpet, verse 1, in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who hear this tremble. And they go down to verse 4. Before them fire devours, before them, behind them a a flame blazes, etc. There's going to be all this destruction. Okay? And uh, where's another scripture here to build this up a little bit better for you with the sake of time? They gallop. Okay, look at verse 11. Joel chapter 2, verse 11. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is dreadful. Who can endure it? So right here they were saying in the kingdom hall, we're the army of the Lord. And Joel, we're that army. And we're the ones who march on the city and stomp on the walls. We're these people. And then all of a sudden, if you just keep reading it down, you start to realize, go, go on over here to uh, Jeremiah chapter 2 a little bit later. Um, or first of all, go to chapter 1, just a little bit earlier rather. Look who he's comparing these people to. He compares them to locusts. Verse 4, what the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. He's, he's calling them locusts. He says, this is a great army. But the Bible says right there, it's the Lord's army. So what does the naive person think? The one who doesn't study? Well, that's the Lord's army. That's a good army. No, the Lord is saying, this is my army. This is my paddle to spank Israel. I'm using them to discipline you. Well, you say, I don't understand. Let me show you. Because all of a sudden, in chapter uh, 2, you begin to see verse 28. Or verse, uh, rather, before that, verse 25, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts, the young locusts, the other locusts, the locust swarm. My great army I sent among you. Hold on. What the army destroyed, God is going to give back. Why does he call them his army? See, they're confused. They don't understand. Because that was his judgment. Now keep going down into the passage, verse 20. After that, I'll pour out my spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now look at this, verse chapter 3. Watch what happens to the army. In those days at that time, I'll restore the forces of Judah. Judah. I'll bring all the nations, gather them to the valley of Jehoshaphat, these scattered people, and he's basically saying, I'm going to judge them. Continue on. Verse 9, proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. 
he goes on down. He's going to bring this army and crush them like grapes. I don't even have time to read it all. So what's the point? The army that God calls his army is the Babylonian army. They're locusts. And the Jehovah Witnesses were calling themselves locusts. And I go back to them and I go, number one, yes, you are like locusts. I really want you to be that in this text, but that's really not who you are. And I showed them this, that that army itself gets judged. I said, you have just put yourself as the one that God crushes like grapes in this valley. But why could the problem be solved like that? Because I understood the text of Joel, and that is the problem with most cults, with most counter-Christian religions, is they just take little snippets, and most people who don't read their Bible don't take enough time to understand those things. And that's why, yes, you have to come to a good church and trust us when we preach, but you also need to go home to make sure these are the things the Bible is saying. Amen? Would you all stand up with us, please? Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I wanted to read the scripture, verse 20, so you could see it even clearly. I will drive the northern army far from you. I will push them out. It will be a stench, and it will go up. And then he goes on and says, I'm going to crush them. That's the passage I couldn't find. So, are we a great army? Yes. But are we the locust army of Joel? No, we're not. So when people go around saying, these guys, I'm the Joel's locust army, you're crazy, you're nuts. Okay? It's the same thing in Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah said these scribes are lying. Does that mean the whole Bible is corrupted? No. John 1.1, Jehovah Witnesses say, you know, Jesus was a God. Does that make sense with John 1.18? No. Read the context. When Mormons say that we need to be baptized for the dead because 1 Corinthians, uh, is it first or 2nd? 1 Corinthians mentions it? No. They just took that out of context. So what do we do? We do what Paul did. We meet them in debate. We meet them in a debate, and we teach them the Word of God. We debate it vigorously, and we show them that we love them. We contend with them. That means if this is the truth up here, we push them away from it. They're verbal arguments. We love them, but we push those arguments away. We contend. We fight with that. And then, as the Bible says, we give them an answer. We're not just saying, you're, you're going to hell. We don't love you. We don't care about you. We say to them, here's the answer. Here's the solution. Let's go through the Scripture. And once again, if I don't have the answer, I'll find a pastor that does. I'll go to the, my leaders, and we will continue to discuss this. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that the word that we heard today will reside in our hearts. That, God, we will defend the faith. Lord, I know in a culture where everybody just wants to get along and we live with so many different religions that the idea of us just saying...